Thank you, Zach. Let's put that into practice and let us bow and worship before the authority of God's word this morning. Let's stand and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 687. 1 Timothy chapter 6, as Pastor Bruce continues in his series on attitudes as we look at the attitude of contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, reading in verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Father, we come before you bowing. We come before you worshiping. We come before you submitting ourselves to your authority above us, to your sovereignty around us. God, as we see your word and read your word, and as now as we hear your word proclaimed and declared to us, let it pierce our hearts, let it change us, let it change our attitudes, let it change our behaviors, that we would be more like Christ even today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you need an attitude check this morning? Some of you are brave enough to admit it. Some of you silently are saying to yourself, perhaps I do. I would suggest that we all need to take a little bit of time in our hearts, go before God, and let Him do an attitude check for us. And uh, so that's what we're doing this summer. We're taking time to look at different attitudes that we're calling our series Attitude Check. And as we resume this series this morning, we want to uh, look at the attitude of contentment. And so let's begin with a question here. What does contentment look like to you? If you had to picture contentment, what would your picture look like? What would it be? Stop for a moment and picture contentment with me. In fact, go ahead. Just imagine a place that is more peaceful than any place you've ever known. So where are you in your picture of contentment right now? Is it sitting on a beautiful mountaintop, looking down a, a lush green valley with a, a stream running through it? That's what us teens are going to get to do tomorrow when we go hiking at Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, we're going to be on top of a mountaintop. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to see lakes and a pond and, and uh, streams, and it's going to be gorgeous. And I tell you what, it will be a picture of contentment. Well, maybe not with a group of teens, but... Uh, nonetheless, or perhaps for some of you, is it laying on a tropical beach, soaking up the sun, your toes in the sand, and uh, falling asleep at the sound of the waves, like what we did on the beach in Barbuda. We had a great time there. Or perhaps for some of you, it's simply, man, just give me three hours of peace and quiet at home without the kids. Man, that is contentment now. You know, many times we view contentment, though, as a place 
a place that we, we dream about, a place we long for, a place that we want to escape to. But contentment, as we're going to see this morning, is really so much more than just a place in our dreams. A place that we want to escape to. God wants us to experience contentment as a reality in our everyday lives. But that often means we need an attitude check. And today we're going to see that contentment is an attitude that replaces the attitude of covetousness. That's an attitude that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. We looked at it from the example of the children of Israel when they were coveting more of everything, essentially. Their desires were for better food, more food, because they were tired of manna. And God answered their prayers in more ways than they could imagine. In fact, they, God answered their prayer with more quail, more meat, because that's what they were coveting, until it was coming out of their nostrils and they choked on it. Covetousness. That's an attitude that will send you to the wilderness, a desert place in your life, and God wants us to replace that attitude with the attitude of contentment. So what is contentment? We'll look at this in your notes coming up on the screen. Contentment, a simple definition here, is a satisfaction with God's sufficient provision for my life. Satisfied. You don't need anything else in life. Why? Because you're satisfied with what God has entrusted to you. Contentment. It's the idea. It means to, to rest in what you already have and to seek nothing more. Contentment is to say without fear of the future. It's to say without resentment of others and looking at what they have. And to say, you know what? I have enough. I'm satisfied. I'm content with God's provision at my, in my life at this time. Contentment is sincerely praying. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, where it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, God wants us to come to the point in our lives where we can honestly say with the Apostle Paul what he said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Have you come to that point in your life where you can honestly go before God and say that to Him? Can you look in the mirror and say that? In truth, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. An attitude of contentment says with conviction, I have enough, I'm totally satisfied with God's provision for my life. It's like, hey, what do you need? Um, nothing. Um, nothing? You wouldn't like for some more whatever. No, I have enough. I'm content. What Paul is doing for us here in this passage that Todd read for us, our text here this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, what Paul is doing in this passage is he's trying to get people like us, Christ followers, to simply replace an attitude of covetousness with an attitude of contentment. Why? Because the opposite of covetousness is contentment. And so when contentment increases in our life, covetousness 
decreases. Contentment is, is kind of like a breath of fresh air to a person who is drowning. It's like a cup of cold water to a man in a desert. Paul knows that coveting means desert wilderness. But contentment means the promised land. It means the joy of the Lord is renewed in our hearts and life. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place in our life where we're content with God's sufficient provision for what He's provided us? Well, let me give you three thoughts on this, on how to put on the attitude of contentment. Three thoughts that flow right out of our text here of what Paul writes to us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the first is this, number one, focus on the partner of contentment. Focus on the partner of contentment. Notice that contentment has a partner. Do you see it in verse 6 here? Look at it. Look what it says in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment's partner is kind of like salt and pepper, peanut butter and jelly, Batman and Robin. They're just kind of meant to be together. And so who is contentment's partner? Well, the partner is godliness. Contentment's partner is godliness. And godliness deals with who I am, while contentment deals with what I have. Godliness, in, in many ways, is being unsatisfied with my character formation in Jesus Christ. And contentment is being satisfied with what I possess in Christ. And together, Paul says that godliness with contentment adds up to what? Great gain. But what do we tend to focus on more? Contentment or godliness? Well, we tend to focus on all the things we don't have that we think we must have in order to be content. Instead, we would be better off learning to be satisfied with what God has already provided us and then focus the rest of our energy on becoming satisfied or becoming more like Christ in our lives. That's why Paul says to Timothy, it's interesting, he writes later on in the same chapter in verse 11, after he talks about money, in the love of money, he goes on and he says in verse 11, but you, O man of God, man, flee these things. In other words, flee the love of money, the desire for more and more. Flee these things and pursue, and the very first thing he says to pursue is righteousness. Godliness is number two. Faith, love, patience, gentleness. And please notice that Paul, he's not condemning the desire for gain. You see, deep within us is a hunger for improvement. That is to make our lives better than what it is today. But often, that desire for gain, it causes so many people to desire wrongly, or for the wrong reasons, or at the wrong time, or in the wrong amount. Why? Because as human beings, we still have this, this old nature within us. A nature that is sinful selfish. Let's face it, we are rarely satisfied with what we have in life. Reminds me of the story I once read a while back about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was walking with his boys one day as they argued and cried and generally just made a scene in public. Makes you feel good Abraham Lincoln has the same kids I have, huh? A curious man approached Lincoln and asked, man, what's wrong with your boys? to make them carry on like this. And Abraham Lincoln replied, the trouble with these boys is what's wrong with the whole world. 
I have only three walnuts, and both lads want two. We want more of everything, and we're not satisfied. I like how Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe is a uh, pastor, commentator, who's written many commentators on, on the Bible, commentaries, many, many books. He says it like this, true contentment comes from godliness in the heart, not wealth in the hand. And that's why these two words that Paul says to us in verse 6, these two words of godliness and contentment are such powerful partners. Paul is telling us that together, godliness and contentment add up, and I love it, he says they add up to great gain. And isn't that what our world is seeking after? Everybody wants more. They want great gain. And here, God is giving us the secret to great gain. It's not necessarily more of anything. It's more of godliness with contentment. In fact, this is God's winning equation for joy. Notice this in your notes. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. We might even say great joy. This is an equation as absolute and unalterable as 2 plus 2 equals... Oh, that was bad. That was sad. 2 plus 2 equals... Four, there you got it. Nothing else comes close to working. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. God has given us a winning equation for experiencing His joy in life. If you want to be happy in this life, then you better do the math because the only equation that leads to joy is God's equation here. And I love this. Did you notice that Paul used the word great to describe this kind of gain? It's great gain, he says. That means we're not playing for small potatoes here. We're playing for all the marbles in the world. This means the positive results for embracing this truth, the truth that Paul tells us, and it's really God through the Apostle Paul, is God's truth. This truth, when we embrace it, that godliness plus contentment equals great gain, let me tell you, it has a huge impact on our lives. The issue is, or the question, do we really believe that? And if we believe it, will we embrace it? Will we seek to apply it? Will we remember it? Because our culture says otherwise. Our culture says we need more of this, more of that, more of that, anything. And here, God is trying to give us a winning equation for joy in our lives. But there's an, another thought that Paul gives us, and it's more of the how-to on this. Number two is to follow the path of contentment. So we've got to focus on the partner of contentment, which is godliness, but number two, we need to follow the path of contentment. Here in verses 7 through 9, Paul gives us the how-to for developing this attitude of contentment. And there are three steps that we must take on this path to contentment. Look at step number one is to look to eternity. Now, why look to eternity? Because a focus on eternity promotes contentment here on earth. Notice what it says in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again with me. Paul writes, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Don't you just love how simple this is to understand? I mean, I only had to read that once. Didn't even have to pull out a commentary to tell me what that means. It's so clear. 
You brought nothing into this world when you were born, and you're taking nothing out when you die. That's what Paul's saying here. Those of you who are parents, do you remember seeing your kids born? How many remember? It's been a long while for me. 13 years ago, my last child was born. I remember being in that room when Jack was born, and even Tyler, four years before that. The funny thing about all of our kids, they came into this world naked and empty-handed. Were your kids any different than mine? No. Now get that picture in your head, because we're all leaving this world the same way, empty-handed. When John D. Rockefeller died, his aide was asked how much he left behind, and the man wisely answered, he left it all behind. This truth is as old as Job in the Old Testament. Job said it this way in Job chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. When you think about it, our, our entry into this life and our exit out of this life are identical. King Solomon, who is the richest man, on the earth at that time, said this in Ecclesiastes 5.15 about us. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. So why then should we look to eternity while living in this world of ours? Because our life here on this earth an earth that we see and touch and feel and smell. Let me tell you, this life is just a pilgrimage. And it's a brief one. A brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. The Bible reminds us through Paul and King Solomon, Job himself, that we enter this world naked. We will leave this world naked. And in between those two, it is a brief pilgrimage. And which is more, how should I say it, what is more wise? To focus on this brief time in our life here on this earth and trying to get more and more that will not last, or to focus on eternity, to look to eternity. Listen, when our life is over here on earth, we will stand before God. In fact, Hebrews 4.13 says that we will be naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. That's why Paul tells us in, later on in the same chapter here, he goes on in verse 12 and he says, and he says it to Timothy, but in saying it to Timothy, he's saying it to me, he's saying it to you. Listen, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Look to eternity. The idea here of lay hold of eternal life, it's the idea to, to get a firm grip on eternal life and don't let go. Our problem is, and listen, I have the same struggles. The same struggles is we want to grip the things in this life. And God is trying to tell us that that will not bring you happiness. It will not bring you lasting joy, eternal joy, gripping the things in this life. No, it is to lay hold on eternal life. The life that only Jesus Christ can bring when we put our faith and trust in Him and what He did on the cross for us. That's where joy is found. An anonymous writer tells about an American 
tourist vi- uh, American tourist visit to a 19th century Polish rabbi's home and astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a single simple room filled with books plus a table and a bench. The tourist asked, Rabbi, where is your furniture? And he said, where's yours? Well, my, asked the puzzled American, I, I'm just a visitor here. I'm only passing through, to which the rabbi replied, so am I. So am I. Listen, the first step on the path to contentment is to look not at the things you can see with your human eyes, the things you can grab hold on physically, but it is to look to eternity. Lay hold to eternal life. Get a grip, if you will, on that. To never forget that as Christians we are only passing through. Step number two is to let enough be enough. Simply let enough be enough. Again, Paul puts it so simply and so easy to understand. Notice what he says in verse 8. Look at this. In having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. So what should our attitude be? Contentment. Contentment, he says, with food and clothing. There you have it, the bare bones, the bottom line, the absolute minimum. What are the things we need to be content? Only two, food and clothing. Now this is so radically different from our culture today, we're almost astonished when we read this. Our minds almost cannot compute this. We're baffled by this. But let me tell you, the rest of the world is not. We got just a glimpse of that on our map campaign. When we went to Barbuda, the island. It's a impoverished island. And again, I knew I was going to preach this message before I went. I'm, I, as we walked the streets and we saw that island and the homes and the depression there, I'm just reminded again. Having a nice house is great, it's nice, but it's not everything. Food and clothing. Food and clothing. According to God, all we really need for contentment is room and board. Just consider our board or food for a moment. There's no caviar or champagne here. In fact, it doesn't even say we have to have three square meals with dessert. God never promised, get this, remember our lesson with the children of Israel on covetousness? God never promised the children of Israel this, quote, balanced diet. Just manna and water. That's all they needed. God never said we have to have fancy diets, food buffets, or 31 flavors. That's not part of the happiness equation. But when we are satisfied with the basics, here's what I have learned in my own life, and perhaps you too. When we are content, satisfied with God's provision in our life, with the basics, man, God will so often surprise us with abundance, will he not? with so much more. And it comes in ways we never imagined. Not always when we want or how we want, but God blesses us when we learn to be content with what He has provided us. He often gives us more than what we even need. Now let's consider our room. 
Verse 8, the word here in verse 8 is clothing, and it's a term that literally means covering, which is general enough that it can also include shelter. And the idea is simply this, that God expects us to be satisfied with a house that protects our heads and clothing that keeps us warm. Is it wrong to have a big house, or any house for that matter, and nice clothes? No, it's not necessarily wrong, but God is saying we don't have to have it these big luxury homes, or whatever the case may be, to be content. In fact, the pursuit of a bigger house often leads to misery. A Roman proverb says it this way, money is like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Well, contentment is breaking that cycle of thirst. And it's being able to say in your heart of hearts when you look in the mirror or look in God's Word, I don't need anymore. I have enough. And God, I will learn to be content with what you provide me now. Do you desire to be content in life? Then let enough be enough. The last step on the path to contentment is learn by example, not by personal experience. Learn by example. Notice what it says in verse 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, do you hear it? Do you hear it in that verse? This verse is screaming three words. In fact, you could write over verse 9, danger, danger, danger. This verse is warning us about the dangers of covetousness. The dangers of wanting more and more and more. And the first danger we see here is the danger of falling into sinful entrapments. Listen, Paul is telling us that with money comes amplified temptations and traps. Paul says that those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and traps. Randy Alcorn in his book on money, possessions, and eternity, says, and I quote his words, money makes a good servant to those who have the right master, but it makes a terrible master itself. Money may be temporarily under my control, but I must always regard it as a wild beast with power to turn on me and others if I drop my guard. Think about it. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask God not to lead us into temptation. And yet, in our desire for more, we lead ourselves into these very temptations and traps. The second danger here, and it screams it, is the danger of giving in to harmful desires. In fact, Paul says, into many foolish and harmful lusts. A fool is one who has no discernment, and in this case, no discernment when it comes to understanding the harmful effects of wanting more and more. And that's what you focus on. That's what you set your heart on. It's what you're consumed with. Our desire for more can become so foolish that our decision-making then can't even be rationally defended. Instead of our desires bringing what God wants to give us, great gain, our desires for more and more end up bringing us great pain, harm, which then often leads us to the third danger here, the danger of plunging into total destruction. In verse 9, Paul uses this word drown. He says, which drown men. And that word drown means to sink 
to submerge or to drag to the bottom. Therefore, the phrase, drown men in destruction and perdition, is a picture of a man sinking and drowning with no help in sight. Living for my desires over a lifetime brings far more than just minor damage. Listen, it brings major devastation. In fact, the eternal results of a lifetime of living for my own desires, Paul is warning us here, is destruction of our lives. I mean, this is why Jesus himself warns us. He says to us in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And listen, according to our culture, if you gain the whole world, that is considered great gain. You should be happy. And yet Jesus says, hey, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your own soul? You have gained great pain, great destruction. But listen, there is good news. There's always good news with God. We can avoid these three dangers. We don't have to experience them. But the crazy thing about people is that we think we have to learn everything on our own, don't we? Have you figured that out yourself? Sometimes people learn through the school of hard knocks, through the school of experience. But why can't we learn from other people's mistakes? Folks, listen to me. We are not the first people on this earth to struggle with covetousness. We learned that, that even God's children, the children of Israel, way back in the Old Testament, struggled with this very issue. And, and they experienced the fallout of it. Listen, thousands of people before us have already figured this lesson out, but most of them found out too late. So who are some? Who are some of these people who in the end, they drowned in their desire for more and more? Well, let me just throw out to you a couple of Bible characters who, who are an example of the, these dangers here. Remember Achan? Achan in the book of Joshua? Man, his greed brought defeat to Israel and death to himself and his family. What about Judas? His love of money led him to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which led him to commit suicide. We just looked not too long ago in our study of the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, and their desire to keep more money back for themselves instead of being honest with God, and it resulted in a judgment of death by God. Here are some more recent casualties. Jay Gold, who died without honor, and he was worth 100, some $100 million when he died. And it is said to have declared on his deathbed these words. He said this about himself. I'm the most miserable devil in the whole world. And yet he died with $100 million. John D. Rockefeller, most of you have heard that name once said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. We've heard that testimony over and over again from so many celebrities, music stars, sports celebrities who have made millions. And yet in the end, when they're interviewed, and if they're honest, they sometimes say, I, I have no happiness. Despite his incredible wealth and automobile legacy, Henry Ford said at the end of his life, I was happier as a boy working in a mechanic shop, although we had nothing. John Jacob Astor, who acquired millions in his lifetime, said, I'm the most miserable man on earth. Doesn't it make more sense to learn from these examples and avoid their mistakes rather than learning from your own destruction? If we don't, the results could be devastating to us. 
That's why we must focus on the partner of contentment, which is what? Contentment's partner is who? Godliness. And then follow the path of contentment. The third key to developing an attitude of contentment is to fulfill the purpose of contentment. Fulfill the purpose. Now we see this later on in the same chapter here, 1 Timothy chapter 6, later on down in verses 17 through 19. Zach didn't read, or Todd didn't read this for us, but look at it with me in your Bibles or in your notes. And Paul again is writing. He says, command those who are rich in this present age. By the way, that's us. Not to be haughty, that is, or proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. There's the second time we see that phrase. Let me give you just two purposes out of this for, of contentment. The first purpose of contentment is this, is to trust God. Trust God, period. And then enjoy what God gives you. Whatever God gives you, whether it's much or whether it's little, learn to enjoy it. Learn to be content with it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying God's blessings in our lives. In fact, one of the reasons I think we often struggle in our contentment is that we don't know how to enjoy what God has given to us. And we've all been blessed with the beauty of His creation, have we not? There are a lot of things that cost very little money that we can learn to enjoy and appreciate. Even right here in Kansas City. In fact, it wasn't too long ago, uh, Aaron Wayne was telling me about a, a, some nature trails right over here behind Park University. How many have been to them? Cool. Aaron told me all about it. So one day, I Jack, you know, home from school in the summer. How many have kids that are bored? Parents, I've got a place to take you to. So I said, Jack, come on, let's go. We're going to go on a nature. We're, I didn't even tell him. I just said, let's go. We're going to go somewhere. He's like, where are we going, Dad? Where are we going? Where are we going? I said, it's a surprise. So I said, grab a water bottle. Let's go. And so we went out to the nature trails, and we just hiked. And they have a waterfall there. And, and right here in our own backyard, the beauty of God's creation. Didn't cost us a dime except gas, driving, and going. Right at Park University. Little things. We, and yet they're really big things, are they not? Just God's creation. We're going to let the teens. We're going to take the teens out to Colorado, and we are going to enjoy the beauty of God's creation of the Rocky Mountains. And teens, I hope, I hope when we're on, on those mountains, I hope you will look at those mountains, and you will be in awe, not just of the mountains, but of awe of God himself. That that has been created by God, who has also created me. And he's got a plan for my life. He wants me to live for him. And you will be moved by it. So often we don't understand contentment because we don't understand how to enjoy the simple things in life. Just the ability to take a walk around the block. My wife and I go walking. We walk our dogs almost every night. And I'm so thankful for that, moment, that time to spend with my wife and just walk and be outside and enjoy the time. And it's been a reminder, just enjoy those things. The second purpose of contentment is to do good. 
You say, how do I do that? By employing what God gives you. Do good and employ what God gives you. Understand, God doesn't bless us only for our personal enjoyment. God wants us to use what He's given to us. He wants us to use what we have to, quote, do good and accomplish what Paul uses, good works. In fact, this is one of the greatest secrets to overcoming covetousness. It's using, it's giving, it's sharing our blessings for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't hoard it all for ourselves. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Man, that's one of the principles that God gave to the children of Israel. They didn't understand that principle. And that's why they had to go through what they did. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so take what God has given you. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Because we, if nothing more, we have been given the greatest treasure of all. And what is that? The treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And take it and use it, share it, and proclaim it. Do good. Look how Paul concludes this section on contentment in verse 10. Look what he says. Go back to verse 10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is one of the more familiar verses of the Bible, and yet it's also one of the more misquoted verses. As people tend to say, money is the root of evil. But that's not what it says. There isn't anything inherently evil about money. Money is simply a commodity. It's a currency. So money, get this, is no more evil than the chocolate chip cookies you eat. Although those cookies may be evil to your diet. So the problem here that Paul's identifying is the love of money. Wanting it. Living for it. Being consumed by it. And believing... That money will make me happy. When we believe that, we are in big trouble. Instead of following the path to commitment, we are headed down the path to destruction. In fact, then Paul, what he does, he adds these, these two ugly pictures to conclude this warning for us in verse 10. Look what he says. He goes on in verse 10. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The first ugly picture there. It says some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Man, let that sink in. Do you know anybody like that? you know anybody who used to seek the Lord, used to worship the Lord. They used to love God with their whole heart, but now they, they just love money. They adore the almighty dollar. They adore the stuff that it can buy. That's what they're pursuing. Do you know anybody like that who has strayed from the faith because of their greed? It's a sad picture. And here's the second and even uglier picture when Paul says some have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How ugly is a picture of a person stabbing themselves? Imagine the dialogue. What are you doing? I'm stabbing myself. Why do you keep doing that? Well, because I love money. Man, we would say to that person, you are in desperate need of help. 
If you took a knife and stabbed yourself repeatedly, we would say, you need help. And yet, how many people are, quote, stabbing themselves with a desire for more, and they wonder why they live with the pain of sorrow and grief? God has gone the extra mile here for us. God is gracious. God is merciful. And in His Word, He has gone the extra mile in these verses to warn us that covetousness is a no-win situation. It's a dead-end street in the worst sense of the word. It's a trick. It's a trap. And God's warning to us is to flee from it. When you see it coming, run from it the way you would run from a roaring lion who has escaped the zoo and he hasn't been fed in weeks. You run from it. You say, where do I run? God tells us where to run. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen, God has given us a much better way to experience happiness and joy in this life Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Contentment isn't found in our possessions. It's found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you know that kind of contentment? Do you know that kind of joy that results from that? Listen, Jesus Christ is the only one who can give us true contentment and satisfaction in our lives. And if you want to experience joy in your life, then put off the attitude of covetousness and put on the attitude of contentment. And I promise you, based on the truth of God's Word, you will know the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Before we pray, and as we prepare for our response time, but before we do, here's a question to think about. Think about this question. Am I a contented person? Am I a contented person? Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This means contentment is something you learn, and it begins with a choice to trust God's provision and be completely satisfied with His sufficiency in your life. Let me encourage you to use this time and go before God. If need be, confess. Confess your sin of covetousness, of discontentment. Ask for His forgiveness and receive it freely. Ask God to help you to choose contentment over covetousness moment by moment in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You again for the truth of Your Word. But hearing Your Word is just the beginning. We need to act upon Your Word. And so, Lord, help us to realize that we do have enough. We have You. We have Your promises. We have Your faithfulness. We have Your strength and wisdom to pursue godliness. And so, Lord, forgive us for thinking that our happiness is anything external. Help us to embrace the truth that godliness with contentment is great gain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The instrumentalists are going to pray, I mean, play. And as they do, will you go to the Lord?